Hello and welcome to Off Field Issues, a podcast dedicated to the wonderful world of the NFL. My name is Oscar Mountain-Haley, and if there's one thing I absolutely love, it's the NFL. Since I started following the league in 2012, I'll admit, I've been hooked. I've seen games both here in the UK and stateside, and I've seen the passion there is for the game firsthand. Whether it's training camp, free agency, the draft, or the NFL scouting combine, there always seems to be something going on in the NFL. In truth, it's a league that doesn't sleep, and operates all year round. Off-Field Issues aims to look at every angle and aspect of life within the NFL. And since every man and his dog now has a podcast, I thought, well, if you're not going to start one now, when are you? So let's dive in. With that slightly awkward introduction out of the way that definitely didn't take me a thousand different takes to pull off, I really hate the sound of my own voice. Let's talk about our first podcast topic of discussion. At the end of April, teams will have the chance to select the future of their franchise through the NFL draft. The draft serves as the NFL's pipeline, if you will, giving franchises the opportunity to infuse their teams with fresh new talent from the college ranks. College athletes play college football in the NCAA, in the hopes that their performances will catch the eyes of professional scouts and teams. After a minimum of three years in college, students can declare for the draft in the hope that they will be selected by one of the 32 NFL teams. The draft works like this. There are seven rounds of selections held across three days. The first round is given pride of place on the Thursday night, usually, with rounds two and three taking place on the Friday. The draft then concludes with rounds four through seven on the Saturday. Each team receives one pick per round, giving them seven picks, with the team with the worst record in the league being given the best pick of each round in an effort to promote parity across all 32 teams. In essence, the worse your play on the field is, the better your pick in the draft is. Once teams are assigned their draft picks and position, they can choose whether to select a player or trade the pick to another team to improve their position in the draft order. Additionally, they can also swap them for current NFL players too, which adds another element of uncertainty and excitement. The draft has allowed the NFL to become an all-year-round sport. As soon as the NFL postseason ends and the Super Bowl champion is crowned, all eyes move towards the draft. This year's draft class is particularly intriguing too, with five quarterback prospects, Trevor Lawrence, Zach Wilson, Justin Fields, Mac Jones and Trey Lance, all projected to be drafted in the first round. When it comes to evaluating these college prospects, they are scrutinised to the nth degree. After all, They are potentially the future faces of a sport that generates billions in revenue every year. Scouting the correct player to fit your team is hard. There are so many skills and factors to try and evaluate when it comes to projecting college players to the pros. So with the excitement building ahead of the big day, who better to have on as our first Off-Field Issues podcast guest than Bleacher Report's draft guru himself, Connor Rogers. Joining me now is a man well-versed in all things NFL draft. I am, of course, talking about Bleacher Report's Connor Rogers. Connor, thank you very much for doing this. Absolutely, Oscar. I'm excited, man. No, honestly, Connor, the, the pleasure is all mine. For context, we're recording this about half an hour after it was announced the San Francisco 49ers have just traded up for the third overall pick in this year's NFL draft. It's a pretty crazy time in the NFL landscape at the minute, but I want to start at the beginning with you, Connor. And basically, 
I just kind of want to know how it is you got involved with with NFL scouting and why you love the draft so much and why you think it's it's so big now. Well, if you go really far back, it goes back to just being home with my dad watching college football on Saturdays. And in, in the Northeast in the United States, you know, certain places are different, but generally, especially in New York where I'm from, we are a pro sports state for the most part where it's, you know, everybody loves the NFL, the NBA, um, MLB and NHL, but I don't think college sports necessarily get the same attention they do in places like the South, like the West Coast and the Midwest and along those lines. But I, I grew up a little different in New York where my dad just loved college football, absolutely loved college football, especially Big Ten football. So uh, since I was a kid, I was college football Saturdays were what a lot of people view NFL Sundays like to me, where you have games on from when you wake up uh, pretty much until you go to bed. And that always helped me connect. You know, I grew up a New York Jets fan who, you know, up and down uh, as a team growing up. Now, recently, they've been bad. And that helped me connect who are the players, you know, of the future and falling in love with these these new college players that'll be, you know, stars. Potentially, there's always hope. The draft, the thing of the draft is it's all about the hope. And the, I always found that to be very intriguing in a sense of, you know, sports analysts, especially analysis, especially like Monday morning quarterbacking of like, they should have done this, they should have done that, especially in New York where I'm from. And it's so negative. And I think what's cool about the draft is, while we definitely live in an era where people, you know, pick holes at every single little thing, I think overall, every fan on the night of the draft feels like the season is going to be better because of what they did in the draft. So that kind of coverage always excited me. And I went to I went to business school. I didn't go into school to be broadcaster. I didn't go into school to be, you know, in media or production or anything like that. When I graduated college, I had a couple different job offers on the table to work in marketing, work in sales. And I found a way in had an opportunity to be a research assistant at Bleacher Report for way less pay than those other offers. The commute was three hours each way from where I was living at the time because I couldn't move into the city yet because of money. And I was like, let me just try this, right? Let me try this. I knew I was going to be working with Chris Sims, Adam Lefko, guy, you know, guys like that. And and I, I learned a lot about production while they're doing that role and slowly also absorbed every little thing about football that everyone there knew while also on these trips, you know, for, for the NFL draft, whether it's, you know, the senior bowl, the combine, all these things, I started to meet a lot of contacts that work in the NFL that scout and learn from them. And then I was like, okay, well now I know how to produce shows and how to produce podcasts. I know how to create content. Why don't I just you know, do it myself. And Matt Miller and I started to stick to football. And it was just a side project for fun that ended up turning into, wow, like people demand 24-7, 365 draft coverage. And it got to the point where I had established or we had established enough that it's like, this is no longer a thing you do for two months. This is something that people want to hear all year round from the summer to college football season to the end of the NFL season as well through the draft process and then summer and training camp. And, and here we are. Going into sort of that there with football over here, sort of soccer over here, sorry. We, yeah, we call it football. It's okay. <laughs> I don't think that it's it's a 365-day-a-year league. Like, we, we have our break in the summer, and it is very much there's not a lot going on. Additionally, like, we don't have anything like the draft here 
or within like any of our professional sports. Like there's nothing like that here. Like why do you think the draft has sort of exploded? Because I think it's exploded more in recent years. And I don't know whether that's with social media. Like why do you think the draft has become such a big thing in, in recent years, I would say? Well, the NFL has mastered the creativity with it in a sense that unlike, and this is going to change in baseball, but in baseball, you can't even trade your picks. So it's you're in a slot, you take your guy, that's really it. The NFL has mastered this. You could trade every pick. Now you could trade compensatory picks. So you could trade every single pick. There's a salary cap. So it's not like uncapped sports where, oh, you have the most money. You can go get all the players. And, and I'm not saying, you know, European or, or football, you know, I, I hate saying soccer, but like, you know, I'm not saying that like what everyone views as football internationally you know, doesn't have those constraints, but money plays a big factor into it. Where in the NFL, a lot of it is team building while everybody is under the same constraints of you can't go buy this number. So you need to be creative in the drafts because if you're not, you're dead in the water. You can't buy a team. You can't just buy a roster. So I think that's always really been intriguing. And the way you, you know, you bring up a great point is how has the NFL attracted so much attention to this? Well, they don't have to pay for a minor league system because they get a free one on Saturdays in college football, which is colossal in the United States. I mean, like I told you in the Northeast, you know, hit or miss, depending where you live. But, you know, you go down like I, I've done a lot of traveling for work for college football games. And it, it's it's mind blowing the atmospheres. You know, when you go to Tuscaloosa or even when you're in Birmingham. I was going to I was going to ask there was a slight aside that I wanted to ask. Did you go to Alabama LSU 2019? Were you there? Yes. I get my years all mixed up all the time now with games, but uh yes, yes, I was in Tuscaloosa for that. And that game was huge, wasn't it? For context, Alabama versus LSU in 2019 was probably a game that emphasized how passionate college football fandom is, didn't it? And it's like, that's the pro team there. Like Alabama football is the pro team there. And the atmospheres are obviously not same with Baton Rouge for LSU, which is my personal favorite. I went for LSU, Georgia in 2018. Um, it's just, it's crazy. So you have all of these fans of schools and they become fan college football fans become fans of players. So then you have all of those fans built in for the guys that are going to go on to the NFL and they want to see their guy have success. Then you have all these NFL fans that want to see, have their team have success. So it's this giant collision, and it turns into this grand event of who's going – and now you have every you know people like me that are saying who's going to be good and who's not, and who's this and who's that. And fortunately, people like to hear those opinions, which I'm very thankful for, that then they get it in their heads. They, everybody develops, who do I like? Who do I not want my team to draft? And it turns into this wild buildup. Uh, and, and, you know, another thing, too, that I'll say is rosters are huge in the NFL. There's 53 guys on a roster. The average life, you know, career of an NFL player is significantly shorter than every other sport. So the turnover is so constant that, sure, we go through seven rounds and over 250 picks in the draft. But it matters so much because those guys, a lot of those guys are going to impact the next five years. And it keeps turning over a page over and over again. So. The sport, the way it's constructed, constructed, but also the way the NFL has built it, is why the draft is this monster that it is. In evaluating players, like you touched upon 
just before, like before I took it off on a complete tangent, you touched upon there when you got to Bleacher Report, it was also about soaking up as much football knowledge as well as the broadcasting side. How did you learn to watch and break down film? Because I think, for instance, one of the things that I've learned simply by listening to you guys and also Chris Sims, who I always find it really funny when you guys talk about like having a type. So like, you know, when it comes to the quarterback, like he he very much has a type. Absolutely. Um, yeah. I've, I literally just saw an interaction on Twitter where obviously Chris is a big Mac Jones fan and he's just put it out there that the 49ers might be going up for Mac Jones. And somebody's saying, oh, you'd be crazy to take Mac Jones this high. And I know that's not necessarily a conventional thought, but how do you break down film and try to understand what the player will really be like at the next level? So it's a great question because there are so many variables that go into it. And like you said, when I knew that I wanted to be on camera, you know, analyst, personality, host, all of those things, I knew that I had to, you know, really vary my skill set because a lot of former NFL players are going to do a lot of the analyzing of football. And I knew that I can also host and guys like Sims, who I loved working with, can bring out the best in their analysis, right? Can really pry and ask the right questions. So I, I got experience doing that. But then it's like, well, I want to also form my own opinions. And I think that you just learn the nuances of every single position. And the more and more you do it, the more you you it's it comes around full circle. Like for instance, players that I'd fall in love with five years ago that I probably missed on really like big time. I typically won't fall for those players, that kind of player again in the future. And, and it might just be things you gravitate towards. Like Sims was always big on just, are you bigger and faster than everyone else? Which in today's NFL, that absolutely makes a big difference. But some people like, you know, smarts or craftiness or, um, you know, just being able to handle everything a coach throws at them. It's really what's in between the ears. So and what we don't see on film, how is the guy off the field? How much does he care about football? How much does he care about his teammates? How much, how much does he fit in with the, the culture and the place you're trying to establish? I think that's crazy. Like that's the hardest part of my job and anyone's job in scouting is figuring that out. How do you try and sift through all that? Because that to me, especially as I don't want to say you're on the outside, but it's almost like you're on the outside of an already, yeah. there's there's a group yeah. there. And the, if the teams are on the outside and you're also on the outside of that outside almost, how do you sift through all that information? Especially, it's, it's kind of ironic, this, this podcast is called Off-Field Issues, but like, how do you sift through a player's off-field issues? Like, how do you go about that? Well, there's things that are public, like arrest records or incidents, things like that. That's an automatic red flag that you need to really look into. Your, you know, you need to look into. But there's things that are not public, and there's things that a player might not be a bad person or have any criminal record or any, but they might not be the right fit for your team. They might not practice as hard as the coach demands. They might the things like that. It doesn't mean they're a bad person. It just is a different kind of person. So. For me, there's a couple different ways. One, if there's just no connection there for me, I'm going to evaluate what the player can do on film, and I'm going to give you that information of what I saw, and I'm going to be transparent that I don't know if he's a great leader or this or that. Like, there's things that just don't exist. 
Now, I prefer to do the homework and find out the information if I have the right connection, which can be knowing someone at that school that coached them or worked with them, knowing a team. Now, the teams have a grand compared to me. They have an area scout for every single area. They go to the school, visit, do the background, all that kind of stuff. So are there people, are there area scouts that have, that I trust more than others that have been right in the past about guys that won't make it or guys that will, that helps a lot. Connections are everything where I'm one man in the tri-state area. I, I used to get out to the West coast twice a year for the season during a pandemic. I did not go out to the West coast. So, and even when I do go out to the West coast, I get to go to what, two schools out of, you know, a ton out there. So you are relying on, on information from other people and i typically you probably know this from our broadcast don't often make that public like exact details but it could factor into your your overall rankings right a guy might have round one talent here's a good example for you jakai polite a couple of years ago went in the third run to the jets didn't he yep no criminal record round one traits and talent on film but a lot of people around that school would tell you we just don't know if he's going to be committed to professional football and he wasn't prepared for the combine so that's a visual evidence right there's things you can see one that has obviously just happened recently was isaiah wilson it's a big one and i'm just wondering for people who are listening to this isaiah wilson was drafted in the 20s of the first round by the tennessee titans this year and basically has sort of flamed out spectacularly in his first season and has just he got traded to the miami dolphins and has just been cut was there ever any inkling around him or is that something that teams would look at that and think, wow, this is just a really big example of of why it's so important to try and get this process right? It's a great question. And, you know, I went back, this maybe went back and look where I had him ranked. I had him ranked 43rd overall and he snuck into the top 30 picks. So a second round player, And I thought he was pretty raw as a player while I liked the upside of him. But there was always some concerns about weight, body type, which is work ethic. And there were rumblings that, hey, you know, you're going to have to have the right program that's really on him to get the best out of him. And when you for me and I had him in the second round, so it's not like I didn't like him. Like it's you know, he went in the first. okay, a lot of second round players go in the first. So. That's that's a good lesson where if a player is a little raw, not exactly ready, and the work ethic is questionable, are you confident enough that you're going to get them to be a different person than they've been the last couple of years when things get a lot more difficult? So some guys are. Tennessee was clearly very confident, but it's it's all an equation. You see, you're weighing everything on each side. And at the end of the day, you got to come out with something in the middle or skewed one way or the other. So Isaiah Wilson, though, is a colossal draft miss in terms of the NFL world. I, we don't get a lot of players that go in the first round and play like three snaps and they're cut. That just does not happen. So on the topic of evaluating players and, and breaking them down, how do you go about projecting players then? Because I think, for instance, some of the quarterbacks in this year's draft have some knocks on them, depending on you know who you pay attention to or like who you follow and, and who you listen to. For example, with Zach Wilson, for instance, who the Jets might take second overall, the knocks on his game revolve entirely around this idea that because of the college he was playing at, the games that he, he played in his conference 
weren't of the the highest level. Another one would be Trey Lance, who played FCS football, which is a bit like the championship to the Premier League. You know, he's barely played in the last few years because of injury and, and because of COVID. How do you go about sort of sifting through that and projecting them to the next level? Because I imagine that's quite hard. It is. You, so you go through the traits, the translatable traits. And fortunately, I think the top four have phenomenal traits with Lawrence, Wilson, Fields, and Lance. I don't put Mac Jones in that category where, you know, all four of those guys are really good athletes, really good runners. They all have really strong arms. And from everything I've gathered are leaders of their teams where that will translate to the next level. And that's exciting. And they can play out of structure and in structure. I think all four were generally pretty smart and accurate with the football and took care of the football. So it's a weird year where I have four quarterbacks in the top five. It's never happened for me before. It's never even come close to happening to me before. I think that the most I've ever had in the top five is two. So obviously I'm, I'm very high on these guys where the thing, Oscar, that a lot of people won't tell you is uh, their success is going to depend on where they go. Honestly, and a lot of people don't want to hear that. You are preaching to the situation, man. Like the one that always stood out to me was Josh Rosen, because as 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 much as I think there's probably some blame on on Rosen at this point. Like if it was going to work out, it was going to work out. But when you get drafted to an Arizona Cardinals team that has no offensive lineman at all, put in a, a horrible situation. I think it was Mike McCoy's offensive coordinator got fired after midway through the season with a new offensive coordinator in Byron Leftwich who had never led a, an offense in the NFL. The situation matters. I think in the sort of pre-draft set of questions that I sent you, there was a, a mention of the fact that Patrick Mahomes is not going to be Patrick Mahomes if he's drafted by the Browns in 2017. How much does it factor into your scouting and your thinking about where this player goes? Because if you're looking at a, a draft board and you're looking at, say, oh, the Jaguars have got the first pick, the Jets have got the second pick, and you're looking at Mike LaFleur, who's New Jets' offensive coordinator, are you sitting there going, well, him and Zach Wilson, that's a perfect fit? How much does where a player could get drafted factor into your analysis? So it's a great question. Now, I evaluate players on a player-by-player basis and don't really typically factor in the landing spots that I'm going to assume, but I do factor in what they can do for you in a scheme. And I think that a good example is, I think the top four guys are scheme diverse. Now I like Wilson and Lance in that Shanahan offense because of their throwing on the run ability and fields as well. And Lawrence could do it. Of course. I, I think what you like about Lance is he ran a pro style offense in college where he's asked to make checks at the line of scrimmage and he'll come in more ready than people think. Now, it's not as fun of a conversation for those four because, like I said, I think they're so athletic and talented and accurate that they're scheme diverse. But I think it becomes a really interesting conversation for Mac Jones, where if Mac Jones goes somewhere where the pass protection is really good and he's allowed that time where he's not playing out of structure and he's just going through, you know, his first two reads, really, the arm and the accuracy is is all there. It's like Jared Goff with his best years with the Rams. People don't want to hear that. They really don't. They don't like Jared Goff has a weird reputation with NFL fans. I think when things were right with the Rams and it's a one read offense and he's just asked to put the ball where it needs to go, 
the arm talent's so good that he's great at that. And I think Mac Jones is a little bit like that. But if you put Mac Jones on a team that doesn't have a good offensive line, that doesn't have these jump ball speedster wide receivers, he might find himself in a little bit more trouble. And that's why I value him less than those other four. I was going to say, it's not, you don't think that would be as bad as Goff's rookie season, but maybe a little bit better. Yeah. Yeah. It's, and it depends where where he goes. If he goes three to the Niners, you, you feel a little better about his, you know, about him with Shanahan and a good offense rather than somewhere that might not be ready for a quarterback to bear that weight on his shoulders. As I'm trying to sort of speed through some of these questions, I've just noticed I've got a big um, block capital letters question, which just says pandemic scouting. And obviously, you know, we're still living in a COVID world. I just wanted to ask, how did the pandemic change NFL scouting and how much did it shake up the industry? Because college football this season was very weird. It was it was not what we're used to. You know, I think college football has a reputation as potentially one of the most passionate fan bases in all the land. Like, for instance, I don't have a college football team, but in the drawer sat behind me, I have a copy of NCAA 14, which I paid through the nose for because I wanted to play a college football game. How much did the pandemic change NFL scouting and what sort of impact do you think it's had specifically maybe on on this, the year just gone their their draft class and this year's draft class as well? Yeah, so it's it's made teams rely on tape scouting more than ever before. And I would say the two biggest things for me is the team doctors don't get to do their own examinations on players, which can take you off a draft board. Like if you have a knee that's breaking down, you might just be off the board. It doesn't matter what round. You could have been a first-round talent. Some doctors will say you you cannot draft this guy into this organization. The second thing is the time spent with the players, which is interviews in person. That matters so much to these guys. Who do you gel with? Who do you like? Who do you vibe with? Senior Bowl in-person interviews or, you know, obviously, most importantly, NFL Combine in-person interviews. There was no in-person Combine this year. Everything's on Zoom. And it's, it's hard for teams to say, can I bet the future of my organization on this guy from having a 10-minute Zoom call with them? It's tough. So, and I don't think it's the best situation for the players to be themselves, quite frankly. So it goes both ways. It's not just all on the team. I think that when you look at it, those two things make a gigantic impact. I think we're going to see some teams make some misses on injuries they just didn't really have enough about this year, even though there are examinations from the NFL themselves. Every team is different with the medical info they believe in. And then I think also we're going to learn who has the real connections to schools because your background checks are all background checks. There's no face-to-face getting to know. So if you want to know about somebody, it's almost like blind dating in a sense in the NFL version of it. Totally. So to sort of wrap up the sort of evaluation part of this, this is going to be your chance to sort of blow your own trumpet here. Who is the biggest prospect that you've ever hit on? Like, who's the guy that, if somebody was to ask you, you could sit there smugly and you'd say, oh, yeah, like, I absolutely crushed that pick. Wow. I, you know, I don't I do not do this often. So I'm, I don't really have one teed up. But one guy that, because he's more recent, because he just got a huge contract from the Jets is, you know, when Carl Lawson was in the draft that year, I had him in the first round. And there was a time where I had him as a top 10 player. And I was like, this guy is a really good pass rusher, great get off, great work ethic. I, he's great in closing time. 
He's powerful. He's fast. All of these things. And round one goes by, no Carl Lawson. Round two goes by, no Carl Lawson. Round three, day two concludes. Carl Lawson has still not been drafted. And I texted one of my closest NFL connections and I said, how does Carl, somebody not take a shot on Carl Lawson on day two? And I get the classic, like, you know, a little smug NFL response of like, oh, I can't stay healthy. He's not that good anyway. Can't play the run. Not that special as a pass rusher. Cincinnati takes a swing for the fences on day three. Carl Lawson on pressures alone has been one of the most productive pass rushers in the NFL the last couple of years and just got a mega contract from the New York Jets. If a team and the Bengals should have re-signed him, but the Bengals got first round production for pennies on the dollar in the fourth round. And it's one of those times I'm glad I stuck to it and just said, you know what? I don't care if people are worried about medicals or this or undersized or this and that. I think this guy's a first round talent and and teams will know that in the first couple of years. And and that's exactly what he was. I was going to say that, like, is that kind of weird for you? Because it's almost like I, I sort of look at the, the draft complex and I think watching your guys' coverage over the last few years has really helped me in this, which is sort of sift my way through it. But it's kind of like overcoming groupthink, if you know what I mean. Like it's putting your stamp on what you think of a player. Yes. So does, for instance, Carl Lawson, as your example there, does he sit as the player that you would be like, okay, no, like no one is going to change my opinion of this. And that's how I know that what I do specifically when it comes to scouting players and evaluating them is along the right lines. It's huge. And it's something I've needed to really train my brain at even harder than ever the last two years because I started doing this and didn't really know anyone besides the guys I see in the building every day at Bleacher Report. And then I started making NFL contacts and they try to talk you out of everything. And as a young guy at the time, you listen to some of it, some of it you don't. And then, you know, it's almost like your arrogance can be used as an advantage at times. Now there's times where I'm arrogant and miss, right? Like I just, like Josh Rosen. I thought Josh Rosen was going to be a really good quarterback and I just blew it. I didn't want to bring it up, but I remember I do remember you being high on Rosen. It's it's my biggest miss. But again, we we touched on like the Rosen one is the most interesting. I think in recent years is the example of it matters where you go. It does, and that is potentially the most important thing for any of these quarterbacks. It matters what situation you're put into and and what sort of surrounding talent you have. And I think that's part of what makes the the draft so interesting that you can look at these players or, or court, the the fourth quarterback drafted could go on to be the the best quarterback in that that last. Connor, I'm I'm gonna let you go now because it's been it's been a really busy day in the NFL, but I really appreciate you doing this. Of course, man. It was a lot of it was a lot of fun. Honestly, a great conversation. It certainly was, and I've really enjoyed it. Uh, I'm 100% sure you've made anyone who's listened more knowledgeable about the draft 100%. If you have enjoyed listening to Connor and his draft insight, you can follow him on Twitter at, at Connor J. Rogers or tune in to Bleacher Report's Draft Crash Course, which airs on the BR YouTube channel every Thursday. Finally, I'd just like to take time to thank anyone who's listened to this. Um, I have wanted to set up an NFL podcast for quite some time and I've never really got round to it or sort of maybe have the confidence to do it so this is kind of a big step for me I really hope you've enjoyed it as much as I have and hopefully there'll be another episode soon not really sure how to 
sign off. So I guess I'll just say take care and all the best. <laughs>